be overtly scared of the nine points. I will be moving through them rapidly. <laughs> but there you'll see them as I read this text, where they're coming from. Uh, they're coming right out of the scriptures. We are, those are visiting, we're working our way through the book of Philippians, enjoying a, the great expositional preaching of this book. Um, learning uh, to apply it to our lives and yet seeing the great doctrine that's all through this text. This passage happens to be very practical uh, to us of how to serve, how to have a Christ-like servant attitude. The text reads this way, verse 19, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven character, his proven worth. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child or a son serves his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will come shortly. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word this morning. I imagine most people in this room have had a busy week. I have, Lord. But in amongst that, to dive into the word of God and be encouraged by it is extremely important for us, Lord. We need to hear from your word today aided by the Spirit of God, and we ask that he would take those words and press them and burn them and drive them into our hearts, Lord, in a sense. That we just not hear a sermon about a really neat fellow, but yet we would be moved to say, are these characteristics found in my life? So Lord, help us today. Help us to be those who self-examine and look at what you have done through Timothy to an example for us, Lord. We give you the praise that all that we said here this morning, you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get started, I just want to point out that Steve and Deirdre Harder are in the house today. It's good to see you guys. Um, Steve is one of our pastors. We have loaned him to NASA. I told them, I called NASA and said, we're just loaning him to you, and uh, he will be back this summer, late summer, um, and back serving with us. So we look forward to having him back. This text is an amazing text. It's right in the middle of such great passages. We worked our way through the hypostatic union of Christ, this God-man coming to earth, perfect timing as we worked our way to the cross and, and to the resurrection. And then we looked at living for Christ and letting God work through us. He works through us. He accomplishes these things that he has set beforehand in our lives. We are to do these things without grumbling or complaining, verse 14. And there is a progression of our sanctification that that proves that God has changed our lives. We've seen in verse 15, there's evidence, even though we live in a very crooked and depraved world. We hold fast to the word of God. We hold fast to the word. Everything else is is sinking sand. We hold to the word of God. That's where we learn how to be moms, dads, parents, uh, citizens in this land. We hold to the truth of God's word. And then towards the end of that text, verse 17 and 18, we see that Paul, who is under house arrest in Rome, says, there's a possibility I may not get out of this. He says, if I am to be poured out, 
He's using the great Old Testament drink offering example of pouring out over a hot, hot, blazing hot altar that when that wine would hit that, it would just blow up into steam and go up to God in an offering. He uses that terminology. But he longs, he longs for the believers in Philippi to have joy in verse 18. He wants to have, to have joy, and I love that, and we should have that as well. Do you have joy as a Christian? Do people see you and say, there's a joyful person, I'm wondering what makes him tick or her tick. So often as Christians, we're not that joyful. It's sad, isn't it? We have a resurrected Savior, our sins are forgiven forever, and we can't have any joy? What's, what's grabbing us, what's holding us that causes those things? Well, I think today's message here really fits this. As the flow of the letter goes on, he turns uh, to his concern for this church. He is under house arrest. He, he cannot leave. He has freedom to take in visitors. He can teach to those visitors, but he cannot leave. And yet he has an undying desire to see these people he loves so deeply. Named the Philippi Church. And he wants to do something about it. And he has a man for the job. Timothy was Paul's beloved son in the faith. He calls him that. It's an interesting term. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Timothy is a, a great example to imitate of Christ-centered servanthood. He doesn't have a letter that he wrote, inspired, but he has letters written to him. So we know much about him. And Paul, in a sense, is saying, this is my hope. That, that literally means in verse 19, if God wills, my goal is to send this guy to you, this Timothy, this man that has so become so dear to me, to send them to you. It's interesting, as I thought through this text and studied through it, I said, Paul, he's imprisoned. And think about this, the temptation to give up when you're incarcerated. Because he's incarcerated. He does not have the freedom to do what he wants to do. Though he is under a house arrest in a home in Rome, he cannot leave. He's chained. He has a guard there 24-7. But his desires are still for the flock. He's a true pastor, isn't he? He wants, his hope is to come. My hope is to send Timothy. And I myself, as we see towards the end, verse 24, that he wants to come. He has constantly patterned his life around shepherding the church. He is not sitting around thinking, oh, this is too great. I can't figure out how to do this. His hope is to come and see these dear people. Notice that Timothy is the answer to his hope in a way. Timothy is Paul's answer to the will of God. This is what I can do. I can send Timothy to you. He can speak for me. He can come and check on you. And I can be encouraged to know that you're okay. This is the answer to God's will. It's fascinating. I, I did not plan all of this for the Clarks to be here together, but so often you think about mission work. They are representing us. We send them out and we say, go to this group of people, represent us, then bring back message and tell us how the church is doing in Papua New Guinea, and we'll be encouraged by that. Our whole missions month was encouraging, wasn't it, in February? As we heard from these men and women around the world that are preaching the gospel and caring for these things and coming back and saying, here's what's going on. And Paul wants this. Now, who is this Timothy? Well, he's a native of Lystra, which was a southern province of Galatia. We know his mother was uh, Eunice, a Jewish woman. He had a father who was a Greek, probably pagan. Uh, Paul probably led him to Christ in Lystra in his first missionary journey, uh, Acts 14. We 
we ascertain that through reading through the, the message of Acts. His mother and grandmother were believers. They instructed him from the Old Testament. He, 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 he's willing to be circumcised at an older age. And we won't go down that road too far, but, but dedication because he wants to be able to speak to Jews. He's half Jewish, but he does things. He's willing to do things in order to take the gospel God gives him both a Jewish and Greek heritage so it helps his ministry. Because remember, the ministry is exploding now. It's not just to the Jews anymore. In fact, most of the Jews are rejecting Paul's gospel. And now it's starting to go to the Gentiles. And here's a man that's, he's really a half-breed. He's half-Jewish, half-Greek. He's a great tool for the Lord. And yet he's willing to do things like go through an adult circumcision in order to have a better opportunity to give testimony of Jesus Christ. When we look at Timothy's life, by the time Philippians is written, he's probably at least 10 years a companion to Paul in the ministry. 10 years. Side by side with him, ministering with him, learning, teaching, shepherding, and now he's being sent to Philippi. Paul speaks so highly of him in terms like this. He says, my true child in the faith. We know he wasn't his physical, biological child, but he claims him. He says, calls him my beloved son in another text. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, another text. Um, at the beginning of Philippians, he calls him fellow bondservant in Christ Jesus. Another text, he calls him my fellow worker, our brother in the Lord. He's sent to Corinth to deal with their issues. That's not a fun one. It's not like he has a great gig. Hey, get to Philippi, this great joyful church. No, he gets sent to Corinth. He gets sent to Macedonia. He, accomplish, he accompanies the apostles to Jerusalem before councils. He's helping in the writing. We see his name mentioned over and over in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and, and Philemon. He's involved in that in some way. He's sent to solve problems, difficult problems within the church. And in our text, and I want to just blow down through this and want you to write down some texts as we go down through this, I think Paul gives us nine traits of Timothy and his leadership that are outstanding. And you say, well, I'm not going to Philippi. Well, you're probably going to work in San Jose tomorrow. You're probably going to wake up and breathe. These traits are for all of us. And, and I know it looks long, but we're going to go through them quickly. And I want to give you verses for each one of them and, and help us think through this just a little bit. Number one, what God saw and, and wrote through Paul about Timothy is that Timothy had a Christ-centered servant. And he had a like-mindedness with Paul. The Christ-centered servant is like-minded. Look at verse 20 with me. For I have no one else and look at these words, of kindred spirit, or your Bible may translate it, like-minded, who would genuinely be concerned of your welfare. It's an interesting Greek word. It's a compound Greek word. We literally translate it. When I translated it on mine, I wrote equal sold is the word I got from those, those two Greek words put together. He's equal in soul. Um, other, other men translate it shared soul. We use the term soulmate in the English language a lot, meaning we share a soul. Paul is using such incredible words about him. I share suke with him. I share my soul with him. He thinks like I do. He aches like I do. 
His soul is built on the same things that I, my soul is built on. These are incredible terms. They're like-minded. And if you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and whether you're father, mother, pastor, whatever you are, you have to be a like-minded man or woman or boy or girl with the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Timothy was. He was, he was a Christ-centered servant that had a like-minded with Paul. Can you imagine not being like-minded with someone and then giving them a job to do it? What would happen? You really couldn't trust that the job was going to get done, could you? Can you say, well, man, I, I hope he goes and shares the gospel correctly. That's kind of not a good area you want to be hoping in. We've got to get that right. I hope, boy, I hope Timothy really loves the Lord and he's not just, you know, saying the right thing so he can be around me. No, no. He shares my soul. And I can trust him with the gospel. What, a, what an amazing statement. David uses this word. It's only used one time in the New Testament. This word is not, never used again in the New Testament. It's this case right here is the only time it's used. We see it used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Very, very sad case where that is used. It's, a, it's Psalms 55, verse 13. David is lamenting over his spiritual friend, Ahipothel, who abandons him and goes with Absalom, who Absalom is trying to kill David. And he says this about him. He says in Psalms 55, 13, but it is you, Absalom, he's speaking of, a man of my equal soul. Is the, is the Septuagint translation of that. My companion and my familiar friend. And he, he aches because Ahipothel abandoned David. Uh, David goes on to say, I walked in the throng of God with you and now you have abandoned me. In essence, he uses that term, but in essence he's saying, you're not an equal soul. You have proven yourself to abandon the ways of God. That's the only other place it's used. Now, there's some words that are uh, that help us. Uh, uh, t- uh, Jesus writes this in Matthew ten twenty five. He says, "Is it? It is not for the disciple that he become like his teacher." Now he's right in the middle of being accused of uh, being with Belzebub, and he's he's denying that 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 he has anything to do with Satan, except he's going to judge him someday. But he says, "Is it not that the student become like his teacher?" That's the goal. And I think that's what Paul's doing here in this text, saying, look, you have become like me, and I can send you. Let me show you a great text in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You want to write this one down and get your finger in here. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17. Paul says this, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Hmm. That's quite a little statement there. <laughs> Can you say that to somebody? Oh boy, I got some issues I haven't dealt with. I don't really want to deal with them. Do I really want somebody to be an imitator of me? Paul says, I exhort you. It, it is a strong command, an imperative. Be imitator of me. For this reason, I have sent you to, I've sent you to Timothy. I've sent to you Timothy. So he's telling them, look, Corinth, I, I, I want you to be like me. I want you to be a lover of Christ, a lover of the gospel, a, a one who puts Christ first, not church first and your own problems and all the things that Corinth was struggling with. They would even deal with sin in the church. So he says, the way I'm going to do this to help you become an imitator of me is I'm sending you Timothy. 
who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways which are in who? Christ, not Paul. He didn't say my ways. He says in the ways of Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Boy, I love that text. Corinth, you're drifting. And I'm sending Timothy. And he's gonna teach you back to the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's my soul. I share soul with him. I'm sending him to you to bring you back to Christ-centeredness. Second thought about Timothy, as you turn back to our text, verse 20, the Christ-centered servant is genuine. Very quickly, just a word that just simply means sincere, genuine. We get the word true from this Greek word. And I wrote in my notes, he's a true brother. And I've used this term when I've, we've been speaking of somebody that we want to send out from the seminary or from Bible college or, or someone we're dealing with around the world or sharing ministries with another church. I often have said this, hey, he is a true brother. I've said that to other people. And what do I mean by that? He's faithful, he's true, he holds to the text, he loves Christ, you can count on him. Can that be said of you? Maybe after church we grab you and say, hey, we're sending you next door to the children's ministry. And I'm gonna call Miguel and I'm gonna say, hey, he's a true brother, true sister in the Lord, they're coming across to help you. Can we say that about you? You may say, well, please don't, because I don't want to go over there. Uh, <laughs> we want you to pray about going over there. We want you to be a person that we can say, hey, we're sending you somewhere. And one of the reasons that I had Christopher and Darlene up here, not only to share that we want to get in behind them and stand with them in their ministry, but I fell in love with them this week as I listened to their testimony and what God has done in their family and, and their parents and grandparents. And we start to build heritages here. We got a lot of children in this church. The fours and fives had 17 kids in their fours and fives last week with a brand new teacher in there. <laughs> he said it was awesome. Hey, 17 four and five year olds, who's going to the field? Are, are we going to raise children out of that? Are we going to say someday, hey, these are true, there's a true brother, a true sister in the Lord that we can send? They're genuine, they're sincere. Are we going to speak? And it doesn't happen and go, well, boy, I hope my kid gets there. It happens with you. <laughs> They're the result of our parenting. They're the result of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly God has to save them and he directs their paths. But, but mom and dad take their little faces and say, there he is. But we have to be true in order to do that. Our kids pick up on our hypocrisy so quickly, don't they? We preach to them, then we do the opposite. No, not Timothy. Paul said of Timothy when he wrote his first letter, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. You're genuine. Third, the Christ-centered servant is concerned about others. Notice the end of the verse there. I don't have anyone else, kindred spirit, who, who will be genuinely be concerned with your welfare. The word here is a unique word. It means that they're overtly concerned with the well-being of somebody else. They have trained their mind and their heart to always put others before themselves. You know, we have verses about marriage about that, don't you? That's how we're supposed to speak of one another. But Paul can say this of Timothy. He says, I don't know anybody else who seems to always constantly think of the brothers and sisters more than this man. He's concerned with their welfare. He wants to know that they're okay, that they love the Lord, that they're coming along. And, and there's strong words here. 
for I have no one else. No, no one else to send to you. Now, I, I don't think Paul is saying that there's nobody else to do these things, and I'll explain that next point, but it, the, the idea is, look, there's, there's this single-hearted, like-souled man who's coming. This word used in a negative sense, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care, will have its own concerns for itself. It's a negative to the term. Because all we do is we start, we don't worry about everybody else, we're just worried about tomorrow. And we're consumed, and even right now, our minds battle not to drift to tomorrow, isn't it? The things you have to do. We fight to stay focused and listen to the message in the word of God because our concerns seem to get out to things that are frivolous when we're before the word of God. So, do we have concern for others? Can someone say this? I, I can send you this person because they genuinely concern themselves with others. He's been talking about that all the way through. In fact, he says, have this attitude which was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Right? This has been the, the motif of this text. It's, it's been the presence of it. Serve one another. Have joy. Serve one another. And, and so what's he do? He sends the best example he has right into their church. Have concerns for one another. For Christ-centered servant is truly Christ-centered. Now, why do we have to actually say he's truly Christ-centered? Because again, there is this talk that there is. Look at verse 21. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. Now that's an interesting word, all there. Who is that all that he is speaking about? Who is this all that seems to have maybe a selfish desire? Well, I don't think he's talking, honestly, and I've thought long and hard about this, but I don't think he's talking about Titus and Barnabas and Apollos. Right? He sends Titus to Crete. He says, go establish leadership in that difficult place. I mean, he sent Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go on their own missionary journey. I don't think he's talking about those guys. I think here's what he's talking about. Look back at chapter 1. Look at verse 15. Some, to be sure, are, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, seeing I'm chained, I have a whole other purpose now God has for me. I'm going to go defend the gospel before Caesar. But then he says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, rather from pure motors, thinking to cause me distress and imprisonment. And I think Paul is talking about the Christian leadership that was in Rome at the present time. I don't have anybody else. A lot of these guys are going, hey, Paul's down. We're going to be in the limelight, right? They're, they're going, hey, you know, he stepped off. I get to step in. All the accolades. You can see what's happening. And this text helps you understand that Paul began to see what was with the problem with the Roman church is that there wasn't leadership in the Roman church. There wasn't men like Timothy. There wasn't men like Barnabas. There wasn't men like Titus. There wasn't women like Lydia and, and others that loved the church and loved Christ. And so he says, I don't have anybody else here to send you except Timothy. Because his interest is Christ. His interests truly are who Christ is and what he brings and, and how to bend the knee to him. Others do this out of selfish motives and ambitions. Paul wrote to, to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, you know this text. 
You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't put your strength in yourself, Timothy. And he's dying. This is his dying letter. He knows he's going. Just shortly after this, he says, I'm, I have been poured out, so it's over. Philippians, he says, if I'm going. Second Timothy says, it's done. Nero cuts his head off probably within three months of the letter, we think. And he says, Timothy, don't put your strength in who I am. Remember, many times he says, be an imitator of me, but, but he's leading him to Christ. Here he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this great verse, which we love. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. See, one of the things Paul is doing with Timothy, he's saying, I know you know what I taught. You've got it. You've got the gospel down. You understand it. It's time to teach others. Go to Philippi. See, there's a point where you and I quit being constantly fed and we start to feed. Where are you? Are you in that process? Do you ever see yourself as one who could teach Sunday school? One who could disciple somebody else? See, we can't be Christians who all constantly get fed. Paul knows the church needs someone who can teach. And they need to train teachers. And so he gives this great command to Timothy. He says, go and, and teach the things you've heard in, my pre- in the presence of many witnesses. I've said, meaning, the reason, reason he says that, I've said them over and over and over and they've never changed. I, he didn't change the gospel in order to get people to like it. You've heard me do it over and over. Find faithful men, teach these things to them. Are you that person? Are you growing? Have you moved from milk to the meat of the word? One of the things I love about Timothy and Paul is they, they were men that loved Christ. And I promise you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you truly love him biblically, because a lot of people are into Jesus. They just Jesus is pretty hot sometimes. He's kind of a cool thing to talk about in, in the Christian community. But if you love Jesus, you love his word. And you know his word. You really do. You can't just say, hey man, Jesus and I. You just can't do that. It just doesn't work that way. He's a living word. He brings you right to the written word. You can't divorce the two. They go together. They never can be separated. That's what happens to us. And that's what Paul had in Timothy. He had a man who loved Christ, who loved the word of God. He was taught it from youth from his parents. He knew the Old Testament was about Christ. He knew the New Testament was fulfillment of all that Old Testament passage. And he says, go teach some other guys now. What if we don't train guys? What if we don't train elders and pastors and deacons and, and get guys and gals into DTP around here? What would happen? We just start shrinking and, and effective. We're not effective. Do we want one shepherd in the flock or do you want a lot of shepherds in the flock carrying over people? There's a reason why I said today, look around, find somebody, note them, call them. Hey, we saw you weren't here. Are you Okay. You know, can we get you a meal? Um, just want to know you got back from vacation. Just want you to know we love you. Not very hard. And it starts to concern you love Christ, so we love his flock. Five. See, I'm going to make it. Hang on. Five. The Christ-centered servant has proven character. Look at verse 22, the beginning of it. I love this little phrase. But you know of his proven worth. It is written in a no doubt phrase. He doesn't say this. Maybe you heard that this guy has good character. He says, no, you know of it. He was there with me. You've seen him. You've watched him act. 
allowed him to live. You've seen all the things that he has done in his life. You know he has proven worth. Proven character is the idea of the word. It, it goes even a little farther when you chase this word down. It kind of has the idea of proven character through testing. Not just, hey, boy, that guy always does the right things. God tested Timothy. I can just imagine the day when Paul said, hey, I'm thinking we might want to circumcise you. What? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, these things are testing. Well, you know, you said you want to follow the Lord. You said you're willing to do everything for the Lord. Okay. <laughs> if you think that Christ will be more glorified, let's do it. He, he's proven. And, and that's what the church needs. The church needs men, women who are proven in their character, tested in it. Look at Romans chapter five, because I want to give you the authority behind our character, not just, oh, hey, let's just be better citizens and all of that. There's, there's authority behind it. Look at five chapter, uh, Romans chapter five with me briefly. Our character is built on doctrine. <laughs> it's not built on you're a good guy and you do always do the right thing. It's not built that way. It's built on doctrine. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified, declared righteous by faith, so we have been now dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Our faith is in him alone. We have peace versus war that we had before with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great summation of your salvation right there. You've been declared righteous by faith alone. You now have peace. You're no longer at war with God, and it all came through Jesus Christ alone. What a verse. Look what happens with that verse. Through whom we also have attained an introduction by faith into his grace. He's, this faith, this trust, this uh, God-given faith that we have led us into this grace. And notice what we stand in, not in our heritage or anything else. We stand in a heritage of grace. We stand in this and we exalt in hope and the glory of God. That's what we lead to. Now, mom and dads, we lead, we point, we care. And as we saw today, there's a great testimony behind those things. But ultimately, we stand in the heritage of grace given to us by God. Now look at the results of this, are verse 3. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Oh, wait a minute. I like the salvation stuff and grace and all that. Boy, that's really good, Scott. But now, what's the deal? Now, now we exalt in tribulation. This is when particular things come your way that are difficult to deal with and push you a little more. And sometimes there's those who turn against you. But we exalt him in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and we learn from perseverance. We learn, to, um, we learn from tribulations to persevere. And people always say, what's the doctrine of perseverance? The saved keep going. That's why, how you know they're the saved. They just keep going. They may have troubles, and they may have times where their faith seems weak, but they don't give up. The doctrine of perseverance isn't a doctrine, well, I keep going, and then I get heaven because I kept going. That's works. The doctrine of perseverance proves that we're saved. I keep going because God sent his son and he died on the cross and accomplished the work for me. And I'm confident that he who began a good work will see it to completion. Chapter one, verse six. But notice this goes on from there. Perseverance, proven character, there's our word. See, perseverance starts to show the character. <laughs> Can you imagine signing up with Paul? Look, here's what happened when I was coming to Lystra. I was beat up, stoned, left for dead. 
I went from one city to another. They sent mean, angry people from one city to follow me to the next one so they could try to kill me there. But hey, Timothy, let's go, huh? Come on. <laughs> hmm. I think I'll catch the next train, Paul. You know, these things build character in us. None of us like to go through suffering. And sometimes we cause our own suffering. But the one thing that we are assured that God takes all things, he causes all things to bring about his divine perfect will because he loves you. And his goal is to give you a proven character so you can say at the end of that trial, Jesus loves me, he took me through this, God ordained this, I give him praise for getting through this. That's proven character. And this is what the church desperately needs. Men and women, full of proven character. The verse doesn't land. We've got to just read this through five. Unproven character, hope. So, Timothy, I'm not able to go with you this time. You're going alone. And in 2 Timothy, he warns, watch out. He tells him about Alexander the coppersmith did be great harm. He names people who, who attack the gospel. Timothy gets sick. I mean, this, this isn't easy, but Timothy, because his character's proven, he has hope. He goes, yeah, it won't be easy, but I'm going, I have hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, verse five. Why? Because God poured his love out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Ah, that's the kind of men and women that really are used of the Lord. And God takes them and does tremendous things. Number six, the Christ-centered servant actually serves. Back to our text. Now we have to say this actually here because there's a lot of people who talk about serving, right? But they don't actually do serve, right? There's people who say, oh, well, we're going to do this, man. When we get enough money, we're going to do this. Guess what you're never going to do? Because <laughs> we never have enough money. Anybody have enough money here? I don't. <laughs> but I learned to say, Lord, that's enough. We'll live within your means and we'll still serve. And, and, and this is what we do. He's after those who serve. Those who actually serve. Look at verse 22. But you know of his proven worth, his proven character, that he served with me. Hmm, he did. He was here. He was sent to Corinth. Wow, he served with me. He's been through some difficult times with Paul. He served. He's not someone who just talks about serving. Look at the, verse, the very first verse of the book of Philippians one one, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. That's interesting. He said, Well, I thought Paul wrote the letter. Well, he did. But he says, I'm not alone. I got a soul mate in the ministry. His name's Timothy. And he serves. So he serves with great conviction. Just jot this verse down, first Corinthians sixteen ten. He says to Corinth Church here, he says, now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Now, that verse is one of those verses I looked at and go, hmm, why does he have to say, let him serve without being afraid? Because they're mean. <laughs> the Corinth Church was mean. They were self-centered. He says, look, I'm sending Timothy to you, and you need to let him serve and not let him be afraid to do it. I'm charging him to come. And I love this because Timothy goes, is there something about Corinth that I need to know? <laughs> no, just go, Timothy. It'll be all right. <laughs> By the way, you guys mess with him, you're going to get me. <laughs> I think Paul's saying that in a sense. 
He served. He served. And, and you go, well, man, I want the flowery ministry, right? I want it's easy. No bullets being shot, all of that. That's not Timothy. Timothy goes into some of the most difficult places in order to serve. So the Christ-centered servant actually serves. Seven, the Christ-centered servant is submissive. The Christ-centered servant is submissive. Notice in 22 that he serves like a son serves a father. Your Bible may say child serves a father. Serves like a, a son. And I know this, you know, I've watched my boys. They grew up on a ranch. Um, if you're a boy in my house, you're probably going to work. And, and I love when my boys react. We, we taught first-time obedience growing up. First-time obedience. God loves first-time obedience. He's most glorified by that. And there's nothing more pleasurable to a father than when he gives his son a charge and the son does it. And I think that's what Paul sees in Timothy. There's no questions, no arguments, no threatening, repeating parent. I'm going to start counting, Timothy. <laughs> if you don't get the chorus by the time I get to 10... <laughs> We're going to have a timeout. No, he was submissive. Timothy, my son, I have a difficult job for you. I need to send you to Corinth. They're disobedient. They got immorality entrenched in their church. And I'm writing a letter and you're carrying it and reading it to them. Wow. Okay, Paul. I'll do it. See, this is that Christ-centered servant of, of submission. I'll, I'll do these things. He surrenders his own plans. Don't you think Timothy as a young man had plans? My sons have plans. Young men who have plans. I, I think he had plans. He probably had plans to marry and probably set up business or follow dad or do something. He had plans. He's a guy. Most of us have plans. He had to die to something, I guarantee you in order to follow Christ. And I love that about him. Okay. I really didn't think this is the way it was going to go growing up in Lystra. I thought I was just going to be a Lystraenian and, uh, you know, have whatever, you know. But now I'm all over the world. And I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was this type of man who surrendered. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We'll get to this soon. I can't wait to get to this text. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Timothy had to do that somewhere in his ministry. Are you willing to give up some of your dreams and goals to find greater fulfillment in Christ? Eight, Christ-centered servant desires to further the gospel. Notice in verse 22 that he served me, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a son serves his father. He cared about the gospel. He was gospel central. He, he was centristic in his centeredness towards the gospel. That was the center of what he did. So often churches get set up in piers and tears and and, and triangles and you got head guys on the top and then all the things that they don't want to do they give to somebody else and, and, and then you got you know just it just becomes a mess in a lot of ways and one of the things I love about Paul and we have elders and pastors here have learned as he trained his men to be pastors and pastors love the gospel we bleed the gospel 
We have no hope without the gospel. We don't build organizations. We build platform for the gospel to go forward, whether that's children's ministry, missions, um, preaching, teaching, counseling. It's all built on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter four. I have to show you this text. Because this is all through Paul's ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse nine. And remember, this is what Timothy learned, what he followed, and now is doing the same here as he gets sent out. And remember, Timothy just doesn't end up in Corinth. He ends up pastoring the church in Ephesus. That had all kinds of issues. And that's a church Paul planted. He sends Timothy back to straighten out the church that he planted. This is, the, this is an amazing young man. But look at verse 9 with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For I think God has exhibited us as apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. <laughs> okay, Timothy. <laughs> we're, go- we're dying. You coming with me? <laughs> because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We don't have time to explain all that, but it's deep. Angels are watching people who love the gospel. Both fallen and elect angels. Ten, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. This is what Timothy has to follow. Verse 11, to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are what? Homeless. Uh, Man, Christopher and I were talking, you know, we were talking about missionaries that, that he grew up with and, and, you know, no names, just vague, but, but he said, yeah, guys just dropped off after a while. They had a house and a boat and a car and, you know, and, and I, I, I just can't go. I know I train to go, but I can't go. Sometimes God just takes houses away from you so you can go. I'm homeless. Verse 12, we are toil, we working with our hands, we are reviled we bless and we are persecuted. We endure. And when we are slandered, we try to conciliate, try to fix things. We have become as scum of the world and dregs of the things even until now. But come on, Timothy, let's go. <laughs> I, just, I just get a kick out of that. And I, I thought, who in their right mind who doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ would ever go with somebody like that? Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul said this, but I do not consider my life as any of account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I don't count my life as worth anything. He's gonna say the exact same thing in chapter three. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to go after him. Last thought, the Christ-centered servant is ready. He's ready. Notice in our text that he is ready to go immediately. Look at verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. He's on call. Timothy doesn't have time. Hey, you're going to leave here. You know, you're, you're going to go this. He isn't. He, as soon as I know, Paul says, as soon as I know how things are going to go, I'm sending him immediately. As soon as I have some, some bearings here, I'm going to send him. So Timothy is at the beckon of his, his leader, his spiritual leader. But, but he's ready. 
he's ready. I remember when Gene and I were just still dating. We were in ministry. We were working with one missionary planting a church in another area and another missionary in another area called and said, we are in desperate need. We need help. Our Sunday school is growing. We have all these youth. Do you have anybody for us? And uh, um, Jerry, who, was, who you've met, many of you, said, Scott, I'm going to send you and Gina over there. Will you go? And we were like, well, we're all into you. We're, we're, he said, no, we really need you there. And so we said, okay. <laughs> and instead of went south, we went north and we worked there for two years with that missionary. And it was fun because we, we just said, okay, we'll go. And it was some of the most joyous times that led us right into our marriage together and into ministry. But it's being ready to go. You remember the negative use of this? Jesus talked about a man who says, hey, I want to come with you. He runs into this man and says, I will follow you wherever you go in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm homeless. That's what Paul said. Another man comes up and says, I want to follow you. But he says, first I need to go bury my father. Jesus says, allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. The man was after his inheritance. Let me get my money, get everything I need. Then I'm going to serve. I'm going to teach those fours and fives. I'm finally going to sign up for nursery or church cleaning. Jesus says, there's dead things. Let the dead take care of the dead things. React. You feel a call, go. Another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You ever know that? I mean, has anybody ever plowed? You know, I've, we've farmed, you know, and the minute you start looking back at your furrows and stuff, you go like this. <laughs> you go like, oh man, I ruined the whole thing. Put your hand to the plow, look forward. Follow Jesus. That's what he's, that was Jesus asked her, and that's what Timothy did. Put your hand to the plow. Darren had to leave for a sheriffing thing. Our singing sheriff had to run. So I want to close by reading a song, an old hymn that I love, and then we'll go and enjoy the rest of the day and serve Jesus. It's the old hymn called Living for Jesus. Many of you know this. First verse says this, Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Hmm. Striving to please him in all that we do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me. Living for Jesus who died in my place, bearing on Calvary's sin and disgrace. Such love constrains me to answer his call, follow his leading and give him my all. Living for Jesus wherever I am, doing each duty in his holy name. Willing to suffer affliction and loss, deeming each trial a part of my cross. Living for Jesus through earth's little while, my dearest treasure, my light of his smile. Seeking the lost ones he, de- he died to redeem, bringing the weary to rest, find rest in him. The chorus says this, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee. For thou in thy redemption dost give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone.
Father, we thank you for the reminder of Christ's centered servanthood here by Paul and Timothy. I know if these dear brothers were here, they would not want us to speak overtly about them. And that's why they were great servants of yours. They always drew the attention back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that you and I, that you've called us, uh, this body, to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we know we battle with this. We have self-centered natures, Lord. And though you have recovered us completely from sin, your work is finished in our life for eternity, we still wrestle with these things. So Lord, I pray for myself and every man, woman, and child in this building today and everyone who hears this on the net or wherever, Lord, that men, women, boys, and girls would bow the knee and say, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do? I'm ready. I'll go. I'll die to sin and I'll die to things that I think that I must be done in order to serve you, Lord. So Father, raise up many here to serve in this church, to serve around the world. Lord, let us not be silent. Let us not be lost in our own things, Lord. You are gonna come and you will find those with their wicks trimmed and their lamps full of oil waiting for the King of glory. So Lord, may we be actively ready for you. Thank you for this message today. May it burn on our our hearts this truth, Lord. We ask the blessing upon this in Jesus' name, amen.